The gospel for this day comes from Mark chapter 3. Jesus went home, and the crowd came together again, so that Jesus and the disciples could not even eat. When his family heard it, they went out to restrain him, for people were saying, He has gone out of his mind. And the scribes who came down from Jerusalem said, He has Beelzebul, and by the ruler of the demons he casts out demons. And Jesus called them to him and spoke to them in parables. How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. And if a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. And if Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but his end has come. But no one can enter a strong man's house and plunder his property without first tying up the strong man. Then indeed, the house can be plundered. Truly, I tell you, people will be forgiven for their sins and whatever blasphemies they utter. But whoever blasphemes against the Holy Spirit can never have forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. For they had said, he has an unclean spirit. Then Jesus' mother and his brothers came, and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Your mother and your brothers and sisters are outside asking for you. And Jesus replied, Who are my mother and my brothers? And looking at those who sat around him, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. Whoever does the will of God is my brother and sister and mother. This is the gospel of the Lord. Thanks Thanks be to God. Please be seated. Dear friends in Christ, grace and peace to you from God our Creator and from our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. Amen. Imagine for a moment that it is your birthday. Imagine that your entire family and some friends have gathered to celebrate you. Parents, siblings, children, aunts and uncles, cousins. And in celebration of the anniversary of your birth, everyone stands carefully around you in a circle and then presents you with a formal reading of your birth certificate. January 15th, 1973, 12.30 p.m., 8 pounds, 9 ounces, Edmonds, Washington. And then they leave. That's it. That's your birthday party. No stories, no cake, no ice cream, no homemade cards or gifts. No reminiscing about how you were born at lunchtime, so the regular doctor was on a break, which was kind of odd since it was a scheduled C-section. No debates between your parents about what your first word really was or the first time you rolled over. No teasing from your siblings about the time you had the stomach flu and threw up at your own birthday party or reminders of who you were named after and why that name was chosen. Just the facts. It would be a little strange, yeah? I took that illustration from author Rachel Held Evans and her upcoming book about how to read the Bible. After she gives that image of the world's weirdest and shortest birthday party, she continues by saying this, We know who we are, not from birth certificates or social security numbers assigned to us by a government, but from the stories told and retold to us by our communities. So should the time of your birth certificate be off by a minute or Should it someday be lost altogether, that wouldn't change what is most true about you. Namely, that you matter and that you are loved. And you learn that from stories. Now that 
says Rachel Held Evans, and I wholeheartedly agree with her, is also the best way to enter into the stories of the Bible, especially the stories that Genesis tells us about the beginnings of things, one of which we heard earlier today. Not just the facts, but meaning. So that when we look around the world and we wonder how it can be so beautiful, how we, the wings of birds can flash like fire in the sun, or how the leaves know exactly when to come out in spring, or how every insect has its place in the ecosystem of things, and also why slugs. When we look around this world and we wonder and marvel at its beauty, we can read the creation stories of Genesis, where we don't find facts, but a story. A story that invites us into the life of a God who creates by word and breath, who loves the world so deeply that God must take an entire day to just stand back and look at it, at how wonderful it is. So that when we ask why, why is it so good? Genesis says, let me tell you a story about God. But of course, beauty is not the only thing we wonder about when we look at the world. There is plenty of brokenness. There is, as we all know and experience, terrible loss and awful grief. Volcanoes erupt and small villages are buried. Depression becomes so overwhelming and unbearable that people cannot find a way out of it. And we grieve yet more deaths by suicide as we have done this week. For all the hard work of researchers and doctors and nurses and healers of every kind, cancer still takes a terrible toll. People we love are diagnosed with things we never saw coming. Life can unravel in a thousand ways right in front of us, and so often there is almost nothing we can do about it. That, too, makes us wonder why. Why such suffering and pain in a world where things are also so beautiful and good? Why such hardship in a world made by a God of love and justice? Where is the story for that? Well, that is why Genesis tells us the story we read from chapter 3 this morning about two people in a garden with a snake. Because we are not the first people to ask these questions. We stand in a long line, generation after generation, of folks who have wondered and asked the same thing for as long as there have been humans. Which is why we are still reading this old story. Sure, we know more about how the world came to be than the ancient ones who wrote these stories down in the first place. Yes, we understand that the world did not appear in six days, and that we will not one day find the buried bones of the first two people who lived in a garden and ate the wrong piece of fruit that one time. But we are still reading this story. We are still holding on to it. We are still asking the same questions. And I suspect it's for the same reason that we don't think reading a birth certificate and then leaving makes a very good birthday party. 
Because we're not just looking for facts. We are looking for meaning. Every single one of us knows what it is like to find ourselves dislocated from a good place that we have been in our life and dropped someplace else, a place we can hardly recognize. Every single one of us knows what it is like to realize we have participated in something whose consequences reach a lot further than we anticipated. And for sure, every single one of us has tried to blame someone else for something we knew perfectly well was our own doing. And if there had been a snake around, we would have blamed that too. The story about Adam and Eve isn't true because it happened a long time ago. It's true because it happens to us, for us, through us, all the time, every day. The story tells us that after those two human beings do another thing we do all the time, reach for power and control, and discover instead vulnerability, God comes walking in the garden in an evening stroll. The humans promptly hide. But God calls to them, and as they emerge from their hiding, these humans say a word. The Bible says a word for the first time. A word that has never occurred in the story up until this point, that no one has said out loud that we have not read, but a word that echoes out of this old, old story into every corner of every human life ever since. I hid, says the human, because I was afraid. Because I was afraid. And then nothing is the same after that. Whatever else the story has meant or has meant to you or has meant in our culture or has, however else the story has been abused over the years, at the heart of this story is the power, the destructive power of fear to divide us, to exile us from one another and from the goodness of creation and even from God. At the heart of the story is this, that nothing is the same once we are afraid. Now we know that. We see it every day. What else is it that drives the very worst in us, if not fear? What else causes us to hate someone who doesn't agree with us? What else drives prejudice of every kind? What else is the engine of racism and sexism and systems built to protect some people at the expense of others? What else makes us suspicious of folks who speak a different language or practice a different religion or hold on to other traditions from ours? What else shapes policies that divide parents from children seeking a new life in another country? What else causes war and violence and keeps dictators in power, what else makes it almost impossible for us to even have civil conversations with each other about how to fix all of this? If not that same old thing that was first spoken out loud in the garden. 
Right from our very beginnings, fear has driven us all, each of us, all of us, to do or participate in or sometimes look away from the very worst things. No one's immune from it. Fear is so pervasive we hardly know it when we feel it. And in fact, we humans have figured out how to use it. We use it to sell. We are told to be afraid of robbery, so we buy home security systems. I have one. We are told to be afraid of messing up our kids, so we buy parenting books. I also have one. We are told to be afraid of being poor in our old age, so we sign up for retirement planning seminars. We are told to be afraid of strangers, so we lock the doors and keep them shut. That's something else this story reminds us. Fear sells. It works. And it always has. Which is perhaps why every single time that God shows up after this story, every single time that God sends a messenger into the world, they always start by saying the same thing. Do not be afraid. Fear not, in the old versions. Do not be afraid of each other. Do not be afraid of yourself. Do not be afraid of saying out loud all the things that haunt you or scare you or worry you at night. Do not be afraid of naming the very real struggles that you endure, that we all endure. Do not be afraid of the things you don't know yet or the people you haven't met. Do not be afraid of your own nakedness and vulnerability, of all the ways the world will break your heart and the Spirit of God will sneak into the cracks to mend you again. Do not even be afraid of your own ending, of your worst instincts or your most painful secret. Do not be afraid. How would the world be transformed? How would you and I be transformed if we could just just do that one thing? If we could just banish fear for good, if we could pull it out of the garden like that dandelion in the corner that you can never get rid of. But like that dandelion, the roots are deep. We can't do it on our own, which is, of course, why Jesus shows up to lead the way, to feed our hungers, to forgive our mistakes, to show up over and over again in the faces of people we are tempted to despise to redefine our notion of family as Jesus does today. Who are my mother and my brothers and sisters? Everyone. Who is my neighbor? Everyone. To take us by the hand and walk with us into whatever is to come, all the way out of our empty tomb. All these years, all these generations later, and the truth still echoes to us from this old story. It is hard work to listen but it is the gift and the work of a lifetime. Do not be afraid, says our beautiful old story, for you are loved, you matter, and this, as they say, is most certainly true. Amen.